Ellis today deals with the Trinity in our eighth series in a series of broadcasts on the Theological Seminar of the Air. We've been beginning, beginning where we should begin, of course, with the Word of God, the study of God the Father, which is properly called theology or the study of God. Then we're going to move from the study of the Trinity to the study of Christ, which is called the study of Christology. Our lesson this week, uh, week deals with the Trinity acting in unity, the Trinity acting in unity, which means very often in the Bible, instead of the Father acting independently of the Son, the Son, Father, and Holy Spirit act together. And although there may be a procession in order, may there be a varying degree of manifestation, the three are inseparable. We pointed this out in talking about the work of the Father, Son, and the Spirit in creation. The references being Genesis chapter 1, verse 3, John chapter 1, verse 1, and Genesis chapter 1, verse 2. We have spoken of the Holy Spirit and the Father and the Son being active together in the Incarnation. Uh, Luke 3, 16, Luke 2, 11, and Luke 1, 35. Well, of course, realize that God manifest in the flesh, became the Son of Man, and bore a human name by a human mother. The three are active in redemption. Hebrews chapter 9, 14, where the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are all mentioned in regard to the work at Calvary, although, of course, it is the Son himself who makes the atonement. Now, speaking further of these matters, the Trinity acts as a unity in salvation. Uh, the perfect picture of this in the Bible is the Father receiving the Son, the home. The Bible says, God hath made us accepted in the Beloved. And Christ said, No man come to the Father except by him. Therefore, the prodigal son coming home from the far country is a beautiful picture of a boy being welcomed and accepted by his father upon his return. Notice in Luke 15, verse 22, that the father welcomed the sinner, forgave him, supplied his clothes, and put on a celebration. This is a perfect picture of the reconciliation of the sinner. And the Bible says, God hath made him to become sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. The Bible says, we're accepted in the beloved. How the Father welcomes and accepts any sinner who receives his son. And this is perfectly apparent by the fact that the Bible says when a man receives Christ, he's predestinated to be adopted. And when a man receives Christ, he's predestinated to be conformed to the image of his son. Both of these operations, the confirmation of the image of Christ and the adoption, begin when the sinner receives Jesus Christ. He is accepted by the Father, placed into the family, and his final destination will be to be conformed to the very Son of God himself. Notice in salvation also that the Son is active. He goes to seek the lost sheep to save them. He said, The Son of Man has come to seek and save that which was lost. In Luke 15, 4, we have a perfect picture of this in the parable of the lost sheep, where we're told that the sheep's out here in the side of the mountain. The shepherd goes out there and finds the sheep. And he said, uh, he came to his own, his own received him not. But as many as received him, to then gave him power to become the sons of God. So God the Son is active in salvation, and this is apparent. Furthermore, God the Holy Spirit seals the new convert when he is saved. We read in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, that when a man believes on Jesus Christ, he is sealed with the Holy Spirit. Furthermore, we read in the book of Ephesians, Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed unto the day of salvation, unto the day of redemption. Then furthermore, we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, uh, we read about the Holy Spirit active in this work, and saying the 
born-again sinner is not only sanctified by the blood of Christ, but he's sanctified by the Spirit of God. So God the Trinity works in a unity, and God the Holy Spirit, God the Father, and God the Son are all active in salvation. That is all. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are active in communion. God the Father invites us to come to him for fellowship in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 18. But this is on the grounds of God the Son being our reconciliation, 2 Corinthians 5, 19. And it is God the Holy Spirit who affects this union and communion, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 18. We read about the Holy Spirit himself making intercession for us, which shows us the Father, Son, and the Spirit act uh, conjunctly and together in prayer. God the Father is the one who receives the request, requests made to the Father, but they're made in the name of the Son, John 16, 23. And it is God the Holy Spirit who directs us in our requests and leads and guides us in our praying. So the doctrine of the Trinity is not a Roman or pagan doctrine at all. The doctrine of the Trinity is a biblical fact. And the two uh, stupid blasphemies that come from perverting this fact were set up first by a group of people who insisted that there were three separate gods with Jesus Christ as a minor god. And these people lay very emphasis, very little emphasis on the Holy Spirit, if any emphasis at all. And the second blasphemy is what they call the Jesus oneness oneness blasphemy, which teaches that God the Father is Jesus Christ, which of course is nonsense. Jesus Christ, the name of God the Son. Now the scriptures appealed to by the reprobates who pervert the Word of God are numerous. And of course, to the uninitiated and the student who does not study to show himself approved unto God, all seems very logical. For example, if I wanted to prove the name of the God the Father was Jesus Christ, I would turn you to Isaiah chapter 9 and John chapter 14. I would point out that Jesus Christ said, He that has seen me has seen the Father. That's a good buffo to try to prove a lie with. Then I'd turn to Isaiah chapter 9 and try to show that Christ's name shall be the everlasting Father. You see? Now, this is the kind of a jam that people get in by taking two or three verses out and trying to make the Bible line up with two or three verses. All heretics operate in this fashion. The Campbellite heresy, prevalent since 1800, was erected on the stupid grounds that the whole Bible was to be regulated to Mark 16:16 and Acts 2:38. The pagan blasphemy that is trying to control the United Nations teaches the whole Bible is to be regulated according to Matthew chapter 16, verse 16 to 18. There isn't a charismatic uh, nut in this country that isn't trying to make the whole Bible line up with Acts 2 and 1 Corinthians 14, which is the height of folly and the uttermost stupidity of the very worst and vulgar and most blasphemous and obscene sort. After all, the Bible is not written to prove two or three verses that you have perverted to prove your doctrine. The Bible is the Word of God. And the Bible clearly, from cover to cover, presents Father, Son, and Holy Spirit working as a unit. And you notice the verses we use to prove this are not two or three verses listed out of context, but verse after verse after verse after verse in the context in which it appears. Now, for example, when the Lord Jesus Christ said, He that has seen me has seen the Father, he is speaking of his bodily appearance in the flesh, God the Father appearing in the flesh. At no time does he ever imply anybody has seen God the Father as God the Father is in the Spirit, for the Bible says no man has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is the bosom of the Father, he hath declared it. And again, we read God as a spirit, and he dwells in the light that no man can approach to, no man can see, no man hath, man, any man hath seen. 
So we see that these little cute little denominational perversions that are erected on the grounds of uh, this verse teaches this, therefore the whole Bible should be related to this verse, are obscene vulgarity of the very worst sort and beneath a serious student of the Word of God. Of course, we have trouble with the interdenominational groups who say, well, any doctrinal teaching is denominational teaching, which is also a lie. The Scriptures were written primarily to teach doctrine, and this is apparent from 2 Timothy chapter 3.16, which is all Scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine. The very first purpose in the writing of the Bible is for sound doctrine. And the Bible tells us in the last days they will heap to themselves teachers having its ears, and they will not endure sound doctrine. Now, in sound doctrine, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are said to be spoken of as working together in creation, in the incarnation, in redemption, in salvation, in communion, in prayer. You say, how many verses? Eighteen in a row and more coming up. When the Bible says that Christ the Son should be called the Everlasting Father, it's merely saying the Son should be called that. At no time are the titles subscribed or ascribed to God the Father addressed to Jesus Christ. Now, Jesus Christ as the Son has the same attributes, and of course we talked about that before, and we'll talk about it more today, since he was God manifest in the flesh. But the term Jehovah is the name applied to God the Father in the Old Testament. And although Lord Jesus Christ, of course, we know as Jehovah God is a member of the Trinity and not a created God or a separate being from God, in his earthly life he is never called Jehovah. He is called Jesus Christ. And when he t says, I am, to the group and applies to himself the name of Jehovah, I am, he lets us know that he's a member of the Trinity and co-equal with God. And he's co-equal with Jehovah. As a matter of fact, the tie of the term Lord of Lords and King of Kings is the Jehovah of Jehovah's in the book of in the book of Revelation. But of course that again this is dealing with the manifestation of Jehovah God the Father as the Son. And no time are you ever given two separate distinct gods. Nor at any time are the distinction of the Trinity muddled and lose their line of delineation. That is, it's a perfect enigma and a mystery which an unsaved man cannot understand. So everybody who teaches three created gods or two created gods, only one god uh, with uh, one person and all have the same name, these people are unsaved people who cannot understand the word of God. The Bible says, The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolish not unto him, neither can he know them, for they are spiritually discerned. All right, the Trinity acts of unity and glory. God the Father is to eventually receive the eternal kingdom, First uh, Corinthians chapter 15. God the Son is the one who will change our vile body to one like his, Philippians 3.21. And God the Holy Spirit gives the invitation, Revelation 22.17. Again, God the Father records our new name in glory, Luke 10.20. God the Son cleanses our sins in his precious blood, Ephesians 1.7. And God the Holy Spirit performs the transformed miracle of the new birth, John 3.3-6. 3, 3 making all three operatives in regeneration. Now, write down some references. I'm going to talk about the attributes of God. First of all, his incommunicable attributes, his eternity, omnipotence, omniscience, and omnipresence. Then I'm going to talk about his communicable attributes, his truth, his benevolence, his communion, and his holiness. 
But I'm going to give you the scripture references that show that God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit all have the same attributes, although all three are distinct persons. All right, are you ready? First of all, on the eternity of God. God the Father is said to be eternal. Psalm 90, verse 2. God the Son is said to be eternal. Revelation chapter 1, verse 8. God the Holy Spirit is said to be eternal. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 14. We'll now take God's omnipotence or his all-powerfulness. Omnipotence. God the Father. 1 Peter 1, 5. God the Son. 2 Corinthians 12, 9. God the Holy Spirit, Romans 15:19. We shall now deal with God's omniscience, or his all-knowledge. God the Father, Jeremiah 17:10. God the Son, Revelation 2:23. God the Holy Spirit, 1 Corinthians 2:11. We shall now deal with God's omnipresence. The fact that he's everywhere at once is immensity, omnipresence. God the Father, Jeremiah 23, 24. God the Son, Matthew 18, 20. God the Holy Spirit, Psalm 139, verse 7. We shall now deal with the holiness of God as an attribute. God is holy. God the Father, Revelation 15, 4. God the Son, Acts 3.14. God the Holy Spirit, Luke 1.15. We shall now deal with God's truthfulness or honesty. God the Father, John 7.28. God the Son, Revelation 3.7. God the Holy Spirit, 1 John 5.6. We'll now deal with God's goodness or kindness or long-suffering. God the Father, Romans 2.4. God the Son, Ephesians 5.25. God the Holy Spirit, Nehemiah 9.20. We shall now deal with the communion of God, God communing with man and communicating with man. God the Father, 1 John 1, 3. God the Son, 1 John 1, 3. God the Holy Spirit, 2 Corinthians 13, 14. Now there we have proof that the Son is deity, the Holy Spirit is deity, as well as the Father, without being three separate gods. They act as a unity. And yet the same attributes ascribed to God the Father are ascribed to the Son and the Holy Spirit, and yet not the same titles. For example, although God the Father is Lord and God, and God the Son is Lord and God, and God the Holy Spirit is Lord and God, the titles are not applied. The Father is not called the Comforter or the Spirit of Truth. The Father is not called the Paraclete or the Holy Ghost or the Spirit of Christ. The Son is not called by title Jehovah Jireh. 
He's not called Jehovah Nisi or Jehovah Rava, Rava. He's not called Jah. Nor is the Son called the Holy Ghost. Nor is the Son called the Comforter. They maintain absolutely their separate distinctions in one Godhead. A man said, I don't understand it. You were not told to understand it. You were told to believe it. And no church told you that. The Word of God told you that. The Father maintained his separate distinction, although the same attributes described to Jesus Christ are ascribed to the Father and vice versa. The Father is never called Christ. The Father is never called Jesus Christ. And the Father is never called Jesus. Three and one and one and three and the one in the middle died for me. You say, I don't understand this perplexing doctrine. Well, Lindsay and Woodbridge said he would try to understand the Trinity fully will lose his mind, but he who would deny the Trinity will lose his soul. And that's as good as you ever heard. These unsaved people trying to make the Father Jesus and the Son Jesus and the Holy Spirit Jesus are unsaved people who will not study the Word of God or believe it. And these unsaved people who are trying to make God the Father one God, Jesus Christ another God, are on the same boat on opposite ends of the boat. And the boat is sinking. The Trinity is a mystery that will remain a mystery until you meet the Lord in glory. However, this doesn't mean we can't believe it. It doesn't mean we shouldn't believe it. You must believe it. It is the Word of God. It's the teaching of the Word. It's what the Word says. The attributes described to God the Father... His eternity, omniscience, omnipotence, omnipresence, His holiness, His truth, His mercy, and His communion are ascribed to Jesus Christ and the Holy Ghost. And the attributes ascribed to Jesus Christ, His eternity, His omnipotence, His omniscience, His omnipresence, His holiness, His truth, His mercy, and His communion are ascribed to God the Father. And when Jesus Christ was baptized, he came up out of the water as the Son. The Holy Ghost, in the form of a dove, came down from heaven, and the voice of the Father above said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Now, if you start this Jesus oneness, holiness, holiness bit, you're going to get in this mad situation where when Jesus Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane, he's praying to himself, almost like that neurotic freak in Jesus Christ Superstar. Why, Jesus Christ wasn't praying to himself in the garden. He said, Father, if it be thy will, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but thy will be done. In plainer words, these two obscene, blasphemous, and vulgar non-biblical teachings, which are erected from five verses of Scripture, are the teachings of unregenerate people who have no more respect for the Word of God than a telephone book, even when they quote it. Now, if you don't believe it, save us the agony and spare us the trouble of quoting it, okay? All right? But there are enough problems on our hands about going through all that business these days. All right, at the conclusion, we realize that God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit are members of a triune Godhead exactly as an individual has a body, soul, and spirit. The individual's body is a picture of God the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, which can be seen. The individual soul is a picture of God the Father, which can be neither seen nor felt nor heard. And the individual spirit, like air, is a type of the Holy Spirit, for man was made in the image of God. Now, you'd think somebody could get this. 
If I stood on the platform in front of you and said, he that has seen me has seen Pete Ruckman, you'd believe me. But if I turned around and said, no man has seen Pete Ruckman at any time, you'd think I was contradicting myself. Wouldn't you? But the truth of the matter is, when Christ said, he that has seen me has seen the Father, and turned right around and says, no man has seen God at any time, he is telling the truth, and the contradiction is in your noodle. You see, nobody's ever seen Pete Ruckman. You've never seen Dr. Peter Ruckman a day in your life. Nor has anybody listened to these tapes. Nor has anybody where these tapes were made. Nor has anybody on this earth that's ever taken my picture or eaten a meal with me. No man has seen Pete Ruckman at any time in the sense of my soul. For my soul, my bodily shape within me, is invisible. But he that has seen me has seen Pete Ruckman. Why? Because you've seen my body. Now, do you understand that? Why don't you? Because that's the secret for understanding the Trinity. If man was made in the image of God, the image of God has to be a triune image. There isn't any way around it. Now, you can say, well, my body is oh, Bill Smith, and my soul is Bill Smith, and my spirit is Bill Smith. Well, that may be true of you, if not true of God the Father. God's body is Jesus Christ. The Bible says we're predestinated to be conformed to the image of his Son. God's body manifest is Jesus Christ. The Bible says, Jesus Christ, 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4, is the image of God. Therefore, God's appearance on this earth is the Lord Jesus Christ. His first title, Lord, matches God the Father, who is also Lord. His second title is unique to himself, Jesus, a human man. And his third title indicates the work of the Holy Spirit for Christos, or Messiah, is anointed. So we see in the very name of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Trinity. His first name, Lord, indicates he's co-equal with God the Father. His second name, Jesus, indicates that he's a human man, the son of man born of a human woman, God's son. And the third title indicates his birth is by the Holy Ghost as the anointed Messiah to Israel. They're never the same, but they're equal. Now, that's where people have a rough time of the Word of God. The Bible doctrine is equal, but separate. That's the basic Bible doctrine on the Trinity. And if that were enough, it's the basic Bible doctrine on the people listening to this broadcast. When you die, your spirit will leave your body. James says, without the spirit, the body is dead. And when you die, your soul will leave your body, because Paul said, the time of my departure is at hand. And in Genesis 35, we read that as Rachel died, her soul was in departing. Therefore, to teach they are the same, without distinction, and indiscriminately mix them and integrate them, without regard for their various distinctions, 
is a non-biblical approach to life, philosophy, the universe, and the truth. Equal with separate distinctions is the Bible approach to the Trinity. And as far as that goes, it's the Bible approach to everything else. In Christ, there's neither male nor female. They're equal, Galatians 3. But they're plainly separate and distinct physical creations. So we see there are two kinds of people that work on our minds that try to get us to think like a bunch of morons. And the first class of people is trying to tell us that things are different, and therefore because they're different, they're unequal. Then the second class of moron is trying to tell us that they're all the same, and since they're equal, there's no difference. Now, this is what we know as the, known as the idiotic mentality of the 20th century. It's the standard college curriculum taught to produce people who can't think straight, clearly, or honestly. And these kind of people, when they approach a thing like the Bible doctrine of the Trinity, come all apart, and the nuts and bolts and pinwheels and kingpins and fan belts and carburetors and spark plugs all over the highway. The Bible teaches a triune Godhead composed of God the Father, typified by your soul, God the Son, typified by your body, and God the Holy Spirit, typified by the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost proceeds <coughs> from the Father and from the Son. The Son was regenerated and brought forth and produced by the Father. The Father, God the Father, the Creator, the Jehovah of the Old Testament, was manifest in this flesh as the Son of God and manifest in this flesh as Jesus Christ. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. He was the Holy Spirit incarnate. He was the Godhead incarnate. And the Bible says, In him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. God is honored and God is blessed. When Christian people believe what they're supposed to believe, and that's what you're supposed to believe. So let us worship this great God, this one who is superior to us, this great one, the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, the Almighty, who can manifest himself in three different ways, as the eternal spirit sustaining the universe, as the eternal spirit in glory sustaining and upholding all creation, and knowing all thoughts of man, whose eyes are in every place beholding good and evil, who can manifest himself as a literal, visible human man in physical flesh, who can suffer like we suffer, be tempted like we're tempted, die like we die, shed blood like we blood, uh, shed blood and be buried in a hole in the ground, so that it behooved him in all things to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be tempted, that he might suffer, that he might die as a man, and by the grace of God taste death for every man, that he might be able to take the sinner's place and save us poor wretched sinners. And who also can manifest himself as the breath of the wind of God, entering the defiled, degenerate, darkened body, the vessel, the uh, temple of the unholy ghost, and cleansing that temple and sweeping it out and cleaning it, and regenerating that man and giving him a new life and a new birth and placing him into the body of Christ and making sure his eternal destination to be conformed to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ, who can manifest himself as the Holy Spirit of God, who teaches and guides us in all truth, who inspired the Word of God, for holy men of God spake as were moved by the Holy Ghost, who preserved that word intact for us this day, and still gives us today the scriptures that he himself has God-breathed and preserved, the Holy Spirit who can guide us in all truth and show us things to come, 
the Holy Spirit who will glorify Christ and speak not of himself, not of the Holy Ghost, but speak of Jesus Christ himself. Let us worship that one. Let us each thank God for the Trinity, the Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost, for that which they have personally done for those of us who were saved, and that which they are doing right now in this world, keeping it from falling apart and becoming a den of terror, which it will become after the body of Christ is caught out and the great tribulation sets in. Our time is up, I see, in the broadcast. So until the same time next week, may the Lord bless you and keep you in his word and make you a diligent student of the word of God. Now, our next lesson next week, we'll study the names of God, the fatherhood of God, and what we call the silence of God, which makes men live by faith. Until the same time next week, may the Lord bless you and good day.